Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, uh, there's a quote going up there, a picture. It said, some days you're the pigeon, some days you're the statue. (laughs) The weeks are better when you are the pigeon. Everyone agree? (laughs) The title of tonight's message is, Why Would a Loving God allow suffering and you're brave coming along tonight but I think it's good that you've come and if you don't like reality right now you need to block your ears because eventually we all suffer we lose a loved one we get sick we have a car accident your girlfriend breaks up with you you experience a financial challenge your house gets flooded the pet gets run over Um, your boss doesn't like you no one is immune No one escapes suffering. And let me tell you some more bad news. There isn't an avoid suffering pill or a free get out of pain free pass. And if you do find one, you want you to give it to me. So no matter what precautions you take, no matter how you shore up your life, no matter how much money you put in the bank, no matter how you protect yourself and try and build a comfortable, wealthy, wise life, no matter how many photos you put up of yourself at Instagram at your best moments, let me tell you this, the poo is still going to hit the fan. Life is fragile and life is hard. Tonight I'm going to take you to the window and look at so you can think through your theology on suffering. How you can walk through suffering depends on your theology of suffering. Next week we've got a panel, three people that have suffered, and I'm going to and they are going to talk through how they have suffered because everybody suffers, but some people get stuck because they don't suffer well. So it's not if you're going to suffer, it's how well are you going to suffer. So next week, we've got a panel. They're going to have a conversation on that and give you some tools on how to suffer well. The good news is, let me tell you, as probably one of the oldest people in the room, that as you get older, this question fades. This question fades because of two reasons. You learn to live better with the mysteries of God. And as you get older, you get to look over decades and you see that the decades, the light and the shade, the dark threads and the light threads make a beautiful tapestry. And you need the dark threads just as much as you need the light threads to build a beautiful life. So two questions let me start with. How can a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, Perfectly just and fear, and and sorry, perfectly just and good, allow and watch the brutality of suffering on this planet 24-7. Does he just sit on his hands? The second question is this: what would you do if you were God to stop the suffering? If right now you were God for five minutes and you could stop the suffering, what would you do? I'm not as intelligent as most of you, so I'd probably start shooting people, to be perfectly honest. I'd probably start with Putin, get my gun out. And uh, the only problem is, and you can see the problem already, 
that Ros would probably start shooting wrong people. I'd get it muddled up. I wouldn't have be a very good aim. I'd go to shoot Lisa and I'd accidentally shoot Michelle. And then in the end, I, where, would you, where would I draw the line? Where would I draw the line? I'd say, well, I'll put up with bullying. So I'll shoot all the murderers and all the people that have committed sexual abuse, but I won't shoot the bullies. And in the end, actually, to get rid of all the suffering, guess who would I have to shoot? Myself. That's right. Especially when I think back to when I was a teenager and I asked this girl, Margaret, I said, jump and I'll catch you. And as she jumped, I moved to the side and she jumped onto concrete and crumpled her legs into three bits. I know, don't worry. I can still see it, don't worry. Um, so as human beings, we all have a need and a drive in us to understand suffering because we realise that if we can understand suffering, it will help us navigate this thing called life. Every society provides a narrative to help us understand suffering. However, not every society and every culture does it equally well. Right now, I'm going to go through some, some cultures and some theologies and some philosophies, and I want you to sit there and think which one you can choose. Because you can choose whichever one you want. So here they, here they are. The first one is a moralistic view. Some cultures teach that pain and suffering happen because you do bad things. And if you live a moral life, then you will have a good life. The next one is self-transcendent view transcendent view. I can't say it. Self-transcendental view. This comes from Buddhism. Buddhism teaches that desire and ignorance lie at the root of suffering. And in other words, anything you desire is bad. If you desire food or a house or a good car, it's no good and it is at the root of suffering. So to get rid of suffering, in order to cope with suffering, you need to get rid of all desire and you need to detach from people and things and you need to find this calm state inside, on the in, in, inner self, where you go into tranquility and nothing exists. Nothing exists and you have no feeling. All right, the next one is fatalistic. Life circumstances are arranged by the stars or by the whim of the gods. In this teaching, you have to surrender to God's mysterious will without question. You must submit to difficult fate without compromise or complaint. This will help you find the meaning of suffering. Then there's the culture with the dualistic view. These societies see world, the world as a battle between forces of darkness and light, and we are all victims, and if we just hang in there long enough, evil will fail, and one day we will triumph. But make sure you don't die before you triumph. And then we come to the Western culture. That's our culture that we live in, and it's different. Western science says that the universe is only what we see, only the material forces at play. There's no unseen forces. They say that suffering produces no purpose and is accidental. It's all up to chance. Some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. 
and you won't find any rhyme or reason. There is no justice, design, purpose, no evil or good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Suffering is not seen in our culture as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. And there are only two things to do. You have to manage or lessen the pain. Or second, you have to look and find the cause of your suffering and eliminate it. Suffering can be fixed. And if it can't be fixed, or if it takes too long to be fixed, or someone stands in the way of me fixing it, there is outrage, there is offence, there is blame. In fact, the Western culture, we have a sense of entitlement. We're entitled not to suffer. Comfort is our goal. Well, what about Christianity? What does Christianity say? Well, Christianity say, says in the Bible that suffering is real. It is not an illusion. Remember Jesus in the garden. They said he was sweating drops of blood. Um, he was sorrowful even to the point of death. He didn't go into a trance. He didn't pretend it away. In fact, a deep, he came from a deep place of feeling on the inside when he said, Father, would you take this cup from me? And then he was ticked off with his friends for um, falling asleep. Christianity always says, also says that suffering is for character. We say that even though God doesn't cause suffering, he uses it to mature us. In Romans 5.3, it says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's, that's a tough a challenge for all of us because we know, as Christians, we know that suffering produces, it gives birth to something. And what does it give birth to? It gives birth to perseverance. And you need perseverance in life. The only way to get perseverance, this scripture is saying, is to suffer. And it also produces character. Who wants character? And it also produces hope. And everybody wants hope. That's what suffering gives birth to. The Bible also says it's temporary. It only lasts for a season, a small moment. Romans 8 says this. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. It also says that in the midst of suffering, we can be more than conquerors. How weird is that? But that's what Romans 8.36 says. Paul says, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors because the Spirit of God, the Scripture says that the Spirit of God lives in us and has given us a sense of the resurrection. You know, my mum... I've talked a bit about this, but when I was about six, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Well, when I was a teen, it took her about 10 years to recover. And when I was a teenager one day, I went into her bedroom. The Saturday afternoon, I walked into her bedroom. And there was my mum holding a handful, a bottle of pills in one hand and, a, and pills in the other hand. She was going to take a life. And I just happened to walk in on it. I said, Mum, what are you doing? Anyway, I ended up wrestling her and taking the pills off her. Do you know that this week, I ring my mum in the car often. My mum is 88. 
She completely made it and come, came through. She's a miracle on legs, I tell her. And she said to me, she said, Ros, don't forget, you're more than a conqueror. <laughs> she said, tell Lola and Jack, my grandkids, they're more than conquerors. And I thought, how is that? That my mother once was going to take her life. Now at 88, she tells me over and over again, you're more than a conqueror. <laughs> the other thing is uh, Christianity doesn't... Um, Christianity also that believes that suffering is unjust. We all believe that, that suffering is unjust. And we believe that it is disproportionate. We also believe that just because you're good or not good doesn't mean you escape suffering. We also believe, Christians also believe, that you can't work off your suffering. You know, if Jay Iken swears at me, he can't crawl over glass in the Simpson Desert to, get, to pay off his debt. Christianity doesn't teach that. Christianity also doesn't divide the world into good people and evil people. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Don't ever divide people into good and bad. Good and bad is in all of our hearts. And you know that. Some days you're good, some days you're not. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Which of those doctrines are you going to think through? And you need to think through them. And you're not going to solve it tonight. But in your life, be a thinker. And think right through to all to the end result. For me, compared to other teachings, Christianity stands alone. Andrea... No, I'm going to skip that. Um, I'm going to change tack. I'm going to take you briefly through three things. You're very quiet. I know it's a heavy subject. Don't worry, I'm going to get to some good news at the end. <laughs> um... I'm going to take you briefly through three doctrines. Three doctrines that are going to help you understand why the God, a good God allows suffering. You ready for that? You ready for doctrine in the 5 p.m.? The first one is from Genesis, and it is the doctrine of creation and the fall. Humankind was put into a perfect garden. When God first created us, he made a perfect place for us. I don't know what perfect place for, looks like for you. For me, it's like 27 degrees, Merriweather Beach, a 9 out of 10 cafe, um, eating donuts, not putting on weight, sunbaking, not, get, not getting burnt. But when God first created the earth, there was no death, there was no suffering, there was no anxiety, there was no bullying. It was perfect. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created mankind in his own image after himself. In the image of God he created them, male and female, and God saw that all he had made and it was very good. Well, what happened? You say, Ros, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. God gave us a free will. Now, of course, if I was God, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have let you choose or let me choose. But God is a relationship God. So God has always been in the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's always been in relationship. And when he created humanity, when he created you and I, he wanted relationship. And relationship 
True relationship only comes out of love and choice. It can never come out of control. So imagine this. Imagine if I said I forced Taylor to be friends with Brody. All right. I said, we are going to have forced friendships, but Brody's a controller. And Brody said, actually, Taylor, you're going to serve me. And you're going to do exactly what I say. You're going to get up at 6 a.m. in the morning. You're going to um, do all the washing. You're going to make me coffee. You're going to make me eggs on toast. And then you're going to go for a run. And then you're going to blah, 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 blah. Do you think Taylor, in that kind of relationship, could have a friendship? Do you think she could emotionally open up? Do you think she could emotionally connect or be vulnerable? Have you ever had anyone in your life that is a controller? You can't emotionally connect with them. And guess what? God isn't into control. It doesn't work. God wants to know you. God wants you to freely come to him. God is love and and a loving relationship can only work in, with you having a choice. God could have eliminated all evil from our world by simply removing our ability to choose. He could have made us all robots. He, oh, oh, oh. But he didn't. He took an enormous risk. An enormous risk knowing that many people wouldn't choose him knowing that many people would reject him, hate him. But he took that risk because he wanted sons and daughters. God's way of giving the first man and woman a choice was to tell them not to eat from one tree. That's what he decided to do. He thought he gave them a choice. He said, this is, how you're gonna, this is gonna be your choice. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat from all the other trees, but don't eat from that tree. The understanding between them all was that if they ate from that tree, they were saying to God, we don't want you in our lives. In Genesis 3, we read that they ate from the tree. So in effect, they did this to God. That's what they did to God. They said, God, we don't want you in, your, in, in our lives. We are telling you to where, where to go. We are rejecting you. We don't want your favour. We don't want your provision. We don't want your wisdom. We don't want your friendship. We are going our own way. Um, it says this in John 3. This is the crisis we're in. God's light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. And the Bible says that when that happened, separation happened, and that's sin. God and mankind were separated. And sin came into the world. And all the things that have broken our world, despair, jealousy, hatred, insecurity, pride, abuse, depression, death, decay, our relationship with him broke. And so did everything else. And now everything, we get glimpses of what it was like. But now everything is broken. Every relationship is broken. Our world is broken. The environment is broken. No one is perfect. The government isn't perfect. The church isn't perfect. Your family's not perfect. You're not perfect. Everything is broken. 
In fact, it's a miracle in our world that we don't wake up every morning and see that our neighbours haven't killed one another. <laughs> I wrote this. If you expect perfection and you don't know, you don't believe that our world is broken, you're going to get deeply disillusioned and you're not going to cope with life's curved balls. So the next biblical teaching, so the first one is the fall. The world broke. The second teaching is this, judgment and restoration. God is going to judge the world. This is what it says in Revelation 3.20. We go right, we flick right to the end. It says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The Christians' names won't be in the book because Christ will have taken our judgment. But the world can't be restored if justice isn't done. So if somebody killed my mum, how could justice be done? A little bit of justice could be done if they found who killed her and they, they put him away in prison. So all of us rejoice, don't we? When we see bad things happening on the telly, we think, Gee, I hope they get that guy. That's that justice in us. We got that from God. And when they get the person, we think, gee, that's good. Because it's the beginning of restoration. So one day, but God's not like us. We stuff up judgment. God's judgment is perfect. And I wrote this, God doesn't answer to justice. God is justice. And the second part of restoration, I want to read about Revelation. This is incredible. God isn't finished. This is only a little part of the beginning. God is going to restore a new heaven and a new earth. And this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. I want to read you Tim, what Tim Keller says. Why could it not be that God allowed evil because it will bring us to all to a far greater glory and joy than we would have known otherwise? Is it possible that the eventual glory and joy we will know will be infinitely greater than it would have been had there been no evil? What if that future world will somehow be greater for once having been broken and lost? I love what J.R. Tolkien says. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Everything sad in your life will come untrue. And the final doctrine which helps us understand suffering are the wounds of God. How does God respond to unfairness? He visits us. He becomes one of us. He becomes flesh and blood for 33 years. And he's subject to terrible unfairness. And he sees social injustice and his cousin is beheaded and he sees deformed bodies he experiences grief 
He experiences rejection, betrayal. He sees poverty. He experiences abuse. He's even experienced, he's even experienced rejection by his own father on the cross when he's traumatised and his father looks away so that he can take our sin. And he did all of this not to justify himself but to justify us. I've got to tell you, it's hard to look at Christ's body on the cross and shake our fist at him and say it's unfair. You don't understand. He gets it. He gets it. The Bible says he has been tempted and he knows everything and he's been experienced everything you have been through. He gets loneliness. He understands loneliness. He knows what it's like to be bullied. You know, the Bible says that they got the thorn of crowns and they pushed it into his head. You know what he was doing then? Taking all our mental anguish, all your despair, all the battles in your mind. He was taking it all so that you could have a sound mind. He took everything. On that cross, he thought of you. And he didn't get off the cross. Isaiah 53 says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. God sat on his hands while his son died because he loves you and I. We don't know the whole reason that God allows evil and suffering. But I've got to tell you one thing. We know the reason it isn't. It isn't because he doesn't care. And it isn't because he doesn't love you. Always. You might say, Ros, that's only half the answer. But I tell you, it's the half that you need. And the other thing I want to say is this. That if God actually appeared and answered all our whys, do you think it would make any difference? Would it take away the pain? Do you think we could understand it? The Bible says we're only looking in a mirror dimly. We're on this side of eternity. There's a door that we're going to walk through. And through the door is joy, love, peace and healing and all the good things that God will use together for good. But also on this side, we'll talk about that next week. But we're on this side. And on this side, he calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. And guess what happens when we suffer? Who do we need when we suffer? We need him. And we need each other. And that's what he wanted. And that's what he uses. I want to finish 
with this beautiful quote from Anna Van Boskamp. She says this, If God didn't withhold from us his very own son, will God withhold anything we need? If trust must be earned, hasn't God unequivocally earned our trust? With the bark on his raw hands, the thorns pressed into his brow, and your name on the cracked lips, how will he not also graciously give us all things he deems best and right? He's already given the incomprehensible. Just close your eyes. This is what I want you to do tonight, some of you. I want you to take a step of trust. A bigger trust step. You can trust him. For some of you, I want you to do this. I want you to let him in to a place of suffering that only you know. There's a place of pain in your heart and you've never let anybody in. But you can let him in. Because he gets it and he understands. And to heal, you need him in there with you. And the last thing I want a couple of you to do is to forgive him. You've been angry with him and you've been disappointed with him. And he gets that. He's been disappointed. So I don't know what it is out of those three, a step of trust, letting him into that pain or forgiving him. He's got big shoulders. I've had to forgive him a couple of times. Father, our Father, it's beautiful to be here together tonight. And we don't know all the answers, but we want to be people that understand the truth. We, don't, we want to suffer well. We want to come through with character, perseverance and hope. So Father, come in now, right into our hearts and walk with us all the days of our lives. And we look forward to the day where there'll be no more pain and suffering where it'll all make sense, where all the sad things will come untrue. And Father, I declare this over each one of us, that we are more than conquerors. Much more than conquerors, not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. And while every eye is closed, Revelations 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone would open their heart, their door, I will come in and dine with him. And he with me. And I want to give anyone tonight an invitation to invite Christ into your life. You can trust him. He wants to be your friend, but he'll never bash and barge. He just knocks and he waits for your invitation. So while every eye is closed, if that's you tonight, I just want you to put your hand up and say, Ros, that's me. Would you pray for me? I'm going to pray in a minute. We're going to invite Christ into our lives. 
It's by faith you do it. It's not by being good. It's not by coming to church. It's this beautiful thing that happens inside us. That's great. Thanks, Dar. Anybody else? You say, Roz, that's me. Would you pray for me tonight? Thanks, Dar. Anyone else? Those two that put their hand up. Thanks, Dar. That's great. You put your hand up. Those three that put your hand up. I prayed that prayer at 20. So you put, put your hands down. And I want all of you, if you feel comfortable, to pray this prayer after me. And those three especially pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I open up my life and I ask you into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I want you to be my friend. I want to go to heaven with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.